Hi, this is Scott Walston, President and Senior Fellow at the Technology Policy Institute. It is August 20th, 2019. This is the final day of the TPI Aspen Forum. And I'm here with CNBC's Brian Sullivan, who just interviewed DOJ's Megan Delrahim and Needham's and TPI board member, Laura Martin, who just came off a panel on moderating a panel on entertainment. So we're going to talk today about several things, but I'd like to start off by asking either of you, you all generally interact with a different kind of audience than we do. We talk to DC people mostly. What do you all think of people in DC, policymakers? Do you view them as naive about the way your worlds work? I think they're late. I mean, one of the things we see in our world is each of the big platform aggregators are entering each other's businesses and they're about to go compete with each other. And now it says the government is saying they have monopolies. Well, that was true two years ago, but it's not true today because they're going, everybody like Google is entering the social business and Facebook's trying to get into the search business and Apple's trying to get into everything. Everybody's getting into video. So it isn't anti-competitive. They're competing with each other. And some of them are going to get put out of business by each other. And meanwhile, the government's going to be trying to attack them as monopolists. So if you think they're late, does that mean that there's something now that they should be paying attention to that you think they will be paying attention to in two years, but will be too late then? Yeah, esports and the rise of video game dominance in five years is going to have taken over all of the consumer time. And so none of these ad-driven platforms are going to work if they don't have consumer spending time. And therefore, but but this is, you know, even Wall Street is just coming to grips with this, which means it's probably three years in the future. And people who invest now will make a lot of money for three years and the government will figure it out five years after that, after it's become the mass of consumer spending. Time spent under 25 years old is two hours a day on average, under 25. But those people, as they age up, suddenly become more important in the voter base. And then the government's going to be really, and that, that I think, trend will start actually hurting other businesses over the next decade. Brian, do you find that to be the same thing when you talk to people in tech policy, you talk to them and you're thinking behind the scenes, Jesus, we should have been talking about this two years ago. They don't know what's going on. First off, thanks for having, I never get interviewed. So this is like a big, I got nervous right now. I just want to be clear on this. I might, you know, stumble. So thanks for having me here at the, at the conference. And I, yeah, I agree with Laura. I mean, the one point we didn't get into with making this today, but I probably could have is if you look at antitrust things over the years, over going back a hundred years, this is not a new development. By the time antitrust takes so long, by the time you start something, by the time it's over, it's almost irrelevant. I mean, there was a case in the forties or thirties, you know, I went to law school, but I, my brain is GM was buying up all the railroads in Los Angeles and like, you know, basically systematically disassembling them. So you'd sell you more cars. cars. Yeah. So by the time, like, but they were, you know, it was like under the American Rail Car Corporation. Can't remember all the details. The point is, by the time the case was decided, I think if my memory serves correctly, GM was fined one dollar. Because at that point, all the freeways were built and what the hell is the point anyway? So I think when you look at government agencies and 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 some of these you know, government workers who do great jobs. I think that they're hamstrung just by the size of some of these things that they're dealing with. I mean, and also just government isn't the fastest moving entity in the world, right? What's the thing? Move fast and break things. But the government is the exact opposite of that. It's not their fault. Not quite the opposite. They move slow and break things. They make, (laughs) yeah, or sometimes break things up, right? You know, which is sort of the antitrust thing, Scott. So I don't think it's their fault, but yes. And I, and I, I was really fascinated by what Laura just said about video games, because here we are sort of having these discussions about the possible investigation of some of the big tech companies, maybe over search, maybe it's over data, whatever it is. And yet the 22-year-old 
the 18 year old in America isn't Googling anything. He's playing Fortnite. It's true. Now, when they could find a way to put like search ads on Fortnite, like <laughs> or whatever game is big then, because right. what you, you need, start that what you need to be able to do is be playing. And I've never played it, but I, I know what it looks like. And be like, hey, Siri, <laughs> have pizza delivered to my house now. Like if you can do that, maybe you already can. If you can do that in Fortnite, now you got something. But you're right. They've got to figure out a way to monetize it because it, at the moment, it's like, you know, a quarter of the people in the globe are playing esports and the revenues are a couple billion dollars. Actually, so, Fortnite will do $5 billion. I'm mean, not sorry, Fortnite, but esports overall. Oh, right? esports. Yeah, billion dollars globally this yeah. year. Amazing. So maybe we're arguing about moot points. I don't want to say moot, but, you know, certainly changes. Yeah. That the fangs are the past. They're the past decade. They got big. Now they're being looked at. But the thing that's going to get big based on time, consumer time, will get ignored till it's really, really big and hurtful. And hurtful. I mean, and that's when the government will look at it, when people are writing letters. Yeah, right. A strongly worded letter to the government. Yeah. Right. I should get somewhere. So, so, so you think that they start paying attention once people start saying bad things, not just because it's not just because they're big. Because right now, you know, the idea is that they're going after these companies because, I mean, some people have antitrust issues, but basically because they're big, right? Yeah, I think that is um, part of it. I think it's they're big and that people, I think there's a lot more concern now over how your data is used. And we talked about this in the panel, which, by the way, if you're listening to this podcast, it should be available on, your, on the TPI website. And data is, you know, sort of the key thing. It's not just data exists, but how they use that data, which I think is the key. And I think the fort, and by the way, it may not be Fortnite in a year, maybe some other game, right? Sure. Fortnite, as far as I understand it, copied a game called Player Unknown Battlegrounds, which mm-hmm. then just didn't do as well as Fortnite. So you never know. But when you are playing these games, what you're not doing, to Laura's point, is you're not engaged in their world. They're not getting data on you other than that you're playing Fortnite. They know that, but they don't know like what, they don't know that you've gone to the 7-Eleven, right? Because your phone is tracked constantly. You're out of that sphere, which I think has got to terrify these companies. Mm-hmm. They can't lose that. They are losing. They are losing that. For right? under 25-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you, when you talk to people, policymakers are worried now about companies collecting data and what they might do with it. When you talk to investors, do they worry that Washington might take away the data stream? Or do they see this not as an, really not as an issue? Or are they more worried about like, but, but Laura, what you're saying that actually it's now other, other, other groups that are starting to get their hands on the data and, and what, we, what are now the incumbents may lose out. Well, I thought what was interesting on my panel just now with the entertainment and, and really TPI ran an excellent agenda for both days. And I would give Brian's interview a 10 out of 10 in my panel a nine out of 10 because I 10 brought down 10. the average. But what I would say is, you know, it was, it was like the head of all the chief content groups and they really felt content was king. But data was a big, I would say, argumentative point. And some of the content creators felt that aggregated data was enough. And some of them what felt- What does that mean, aggregated Aggregated data? means like Nielsen data. Okay. Like we know that 2 million people watched your piece of content and 5 million people watched somebody else's oh, piece of content. Good numbers. Yeah, not that. <laughs> But it's my point of view and a couple of people on the panel that you must have person by person data. You must have first party data about what they're doing. That's hard. So, but Netflix has it in viewing and Amazon has it in shopping and Facebook has it in the 50 minutes a day you're spending there. So what the platforms have is data. So if the person moves and the new platform has data on the person, 
to Brian's point, you're becoming less valuable because you don't know what that person's doing off your platform. You've never known what they're doing off your platform, but they're about to spend be spending more time off your platform. But are we overestimating the value of data? I do wonder sometimes, Laura, if there's so much data, can they really actually figure it out, like what to do with it all? I mean, they probably know 11 million data points about me, right? That I'm a white male over six feet who's in his mid to late 40s, got a couple of kids, live in New Jersey based on ways. Here's my daily average commute. You know, here's how much I'm stopping at the gas station. They could figure these, but I, what can they really do with it? I do wonder. No, I think data is relevant where it relates to the monetization engine. So what Netflix has on you is what you watch so that it knows what to produce to tell you what to watch but I as like, a person. That's good, though. I like that. Okay. But, but we actually, I mean, do we know how successful that is? I mean, they say that they use data to think of what, what new shows to produce, but they don't really release any information to tell us whether their predictions are right. I mean, whether the, you know, they, they still make all their money off of friends in the office. Not well, friend, not anymore. Friends is gone. Right? Yeah, the Warner, office is gone. That's, all, yeah. that's Warner Media now. So, you know, maybe all the data is for nothing. But I think for I think owning first party data is the only thing that's protected. What the government's going after is when you mm-hmm. have data and then you sell it for money to somebody else. That that transaction that is, is what they're really trying to lock down. The, the consumer knows you're he's you're going to sell that consumer data to a third party for money. So I think having first party data, you're allowed. To, like Roku has 30 million connected homes. They're allowed to use their data to sell ads all day long. So they know what you watch, so they can target ads to you. So if they know they know what, how many hours of Netflix you watch a day, guess who they're targeting Disney Plus ads to? Yeah. All the people that are paying $12 for Netflix a month now, they're going to say for $7, you can have Disney Plus. Or for $12.99, the same price, you can have ESPN Plus, Hulu, and Disney it's not, Plus. It's not random that they're all the same price, effectively, or $1 less, or the way yeah. you're doing it is what you're saying. That's true, but also that that because Roku has that first-party data, they can use it to monetize, and then and then they get a bounty from Disney from bringing new subscribers in the first three months. And that's why the stock is up 200% or whatever this 300% year. 300% this year. I, yeah. I, I shortchanged them 100%. Yeah. <laughs> doubling. But I mean, that's what data matters on a person by person basis, knowing what we're, so all data doesn't matter. I agree with you, Brian, but the data that you monetize matters a lot. If you have better data than somebody that's aggregating. But, but there's a part of me, I'm, so I'm a huge, I don't know, Scott, do you like music? Okay, so I'm a huge music guy. I would say huge music guy. What I mean is thousands of CDs. By the way, I still buy them because I like to own the rights to my music. I make Apple Music and Spotify playlists for my friends and my family. I like to discover new music, blah, blah, blah. Nobody cares. The reason I mention this is that sometimes I wonder if these data recommendations are bad. Like if you like this band, right? The record company, whatever, Black Keys, then you should listen to this. But I wonder if it keeps me in a bubble, like in like a tunnel of music. And I'm not going, because it's not saying, if you like the Black Keys, you should listen to Vivaldi, right? It's saying, if you like the Black Keys, you should listen to the record company, which sort of a similar, if you like, you know, Black Crows, then you should listen to Blackberry Smoke, right? But like, so I'm, I wonder if there's a, there's a downside to data where these companies are actually holding themselves back because they're not, like if I like Ozark, I might like Bloodline, but like I'm not discovering something really different and changing my worldview. Based on no you know information, I mean? except for what I see, it seems like that used to be a bigger problem. I mean, I get it. Like I, like everybody, all Gen X people, I still remember 80s music and so I would listen to it. But when I used to listen- Say it proud, man. It's nothing wrong with it. Except the problem is when I used to listen to Pandora, all of my stations ended up being all journey all the time. And it was terrible. 
Um, Sounds like you and Pandora need to go your separate ways. We did. I use Spotify now. <laughs> separate ways. I didn't get any credit for that. Separate ways. Oh, that was good. Come on, man. That was good. <laughs> I guess I blocked a lot. But I, I mean, I, I think where I'm going to push back at you on that, Brian, is their business model is driven by time spent. So they want you to spend the most time. If they take a risk and mm. tell, tell you to listen to Vivaldi and you turn off Spotify or change the mm. channel or worse, Desubscribe to Spotify because Apple Music you like better. That is a lower risk. So they're going to feed me stuff they know I'm probably going to like already. And then elongate your listening time Mm. and then take the next recommendation because probably what really happens in real life is you listen to one song of their recommended and if you don't like it, you're out and you just go back to your normal playlist. And they take that into account. By the way, do dating sites work like this? I don't have any idea. You know, it's like, do they just recommend the same type of potential mate? Because, uh, you know, sometimes you got to, like, you know, hey. Know, maybe it's the same person. It's like I'm sick of talk, you know, <laughs> sick of steak every time. Tara, now Sarah, now Anne. Same person. Jane, Jean, Joan. <laughs> like, where are we going with this? You know what I mean? Brian, I didn't Ryan. like her when I was Jane. I still don't like her when she's Joan. Everybody's named Brian, but they spell it Y. I I E N Y E N with an I. No, the I is the right way. Oh, I see. Because that's, that's your way. That's the Gaelic way. That's the way. <laughs> uh, but we'll get Brian Tremont in here. But by the way, you know, you know, going back to your very first point, Scott. You know, if you if you sort of you know occasionally on my show, I'll say tongue in cheek, but I there's a hint of truth to what I say. I'll say you know if we go down to one of our awesome DC people, right, Amen or Elon or Kayla or anybody on air, then I'll say let's go now to the new capital of Wall Street, Washington D.C. And I say that only semi-tongue-in-cheek. That's funny. Because I've been doing this now for 20 years, which is hard to believe. But I have watched DC's power grow in business exponentially. I mean, and forget about just business and technology. Look at every day the market moves if some Federal Reserve member belches, right? So it's it's the, the power of DC and by the way, or China I, tariffs. Is so I'm, I'm, my parents live 75 miles outside of D.C. I, I went to high school in rural Virginia, mm-hmm. a town called Winchester, which is like the only three things have come out of Winchester. Apples, Patsy Cline. And you. And me, I guess. I'm not comparing <laughs> myself to Patsy Cline. Yeah, my dad went to high school the same year as Patsy Cline. She went to Hanley with the James Wood. Anyway, so Winchester has almost become a suburb of D.C. now. I mean, it's. It's gone from like 20,000 people to 110,000. Leesburg used to be like a sleepy, you know, horse town village. Now it's the Loudoun County. And the reason I bring this up is, Scott, as you know, the power of D.C. has grown, but the size, everything has grown about D.C. It's importance. It's relevance. It's size. It's scope. It's one of the reasons Amazon picked it as originally half of its new headquarters, I suppose. I broke that story, by the way. Because Virginia Tech, my alma mater, is involved in the innovation campus next door. Not revealing my sources. (laughs) Virginia Tech. (laughs) It's over now. So, no, but I mean, you know what I mean? It's grown. D.C. has grown in importance and relevance in our life. And you can argue that's good or bad, but it's certainly grown in business. Look at all the people that are here at this conference. I mean, heavy hitters for these companies are now based in D.C., so uh, Phil Weiser is the Attorney General of Colorado opened the conference, and you talked up to Bacon about the Attorneys General Hall, uh, the two dozen, I guess, who are joining with them. It seems like every part of the tech economy, every time there's a choice to be made about whether states should have power or whether their power should be preempted, we choose to preempt their power. Uh, and it's under the, under the idea that it's more efficient for anything digital to operate on as big a scale as possible. And that sounds kind of right to me, and the, you know, the economics sounds right. 
but it's still part of the same trend, moving more and more power to DC. Do you think the digital economy is part of that? Does anybody else well, the care? digital <laughs> I mean, the digital economy is sitting in the Silicon Valley, and I guess you could argue Seattle. I mean, that's where the digital economy is. And I guess for content, you could argue LA. But the whole West Coast is where the digital economy is. Right, and so maybe DC wants to, doesn't like that. Maybe, but they're not going to move to... They're not going to move to D.C. because one of the things we see in business is there's really interesting academic work being done that the right competitive unit is not a company, but it's a, actually a geographic region. And that the smartest people go to the geographic region that dominates that thing, whether it's hardware or software or content, and that therefore you get the call on the best people and then they move up because it's connections based. And they share information because they change jobs. And therefore, the cluster accumulates best practices faster and faster than anywhere outside the cluster. So, I mean, you know, it's an economic theory. Nobody's ever been able well, to display Silicon Valley, even though they try. But that's, or, is that sad, though? That's kind of sad, though. Like, to me, that, that, that's a bigger issue. So. We talk about social inequality, economic inequality, wealth inequality. I've often thought, like, what if Facebook was based in Youngstown, Ohio? It wouldn't be Facebook. Somebody else would have that Are you role. sure? You really? What if? Yeah, I, I mean, you, can't, you think so? I do. I do. I think, you know, MySpace would have either survived and been my Facebook at half the size or somebody else would have replaced Facebook. I do. I believe in this cluster theory. I believe that the best Is it beneficial? Yeah, I do think it is because these are big, difficult, complex problems. And so you need a centralization for people to go there, the best engineers to go somewhere. And they don't want to go somewhere where they have to move their whole family to a different town when they get sick of their boss. There's no jo job mobility. Once they're in a company, they're, right. they're stuck. in the middle of nowhere. They don't want to do that. So they, what they want to do is move from Facebook to Google to a startup once they've made their 10 million. And that's what happened. And, I mean, and Stanford's right there. We know there are hundreds, maybe thousands of places have tried to recreate a certain value and they think, oh, it's just ingredients. No you have way. two universities yeah. and we'll give you this. And a couple and of venture capitalists. Yes, except the, the fact that teachers have to live 100 miles away because they can't afford a three-bedroom, two-bath right. ranch. And then the alternatives you put in the middle of Iowa and then nobody wants to and go. Nobody will but that's why we're seeing places like Austin pop up, Atlanta. It's true. There are right? some successful examples. I'm sure. Triangle Park. But they're best Yeah, talent. by the way, Fortnite is built in Raleigh, North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. Fortnite is not a Silicon Valley. What's the name of the Epic Games, I think? Yeah. Privately held, sitting there in a three-story nondescript office building in Raleigh, Durham area. And, and they're going to become, you know, the, <laughs> already are just the, the company and the game that <laughs> ate the world. I know. I, yep. I, I bet we see them move to Silicon Valley. Yeah, <laughs> well, well, Netflix moved, be going to turn into a content company. It moved all the three people down to L.A. Which is a great example right. yeah. of somebody starting the Silicon Valley as a tech company. With all the three people. So it's, Netflix has more people. Has in, all, every person. And I've heard like their lobby is like the place to be seen in yeah. Hollywood now. Like, yeah. hey, there's Leonardo DiCaprio. Here's Brad Pitt. Yeah. Like that lobby is like. And they made an underground bridge into their news. For so super, that you don't superstars. Yeah. So like Laura Martin walks in. Under you don't bridge. come into the door. You go in <laughs> under. But the point is, once they decided they were a content company, even they obeyed the cluster rules of coming into Hollywood. But that's there's a difference, in my opinion, between a net. This again, this is my opinion, not you know whatever. It's between Netflix is like, I just watch TV on Netflix, right? Like they, they have if they know like that I like Ozark or whatever, I don't care. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Comcast, my company, my ultimate parent company, they've got great offerings. And they, by the way, have been super smart with their Xfinity remote. I'm not promoting the company. I'm just saying I use it at home. You can like click through to Netflix and stuff. Like they have, everyone's kind of coming together. That's just watching TV. To me, that's data that's benign. Okay, they know I like this band or that show. Who cares? If they know that I'm, you know, 
Googling, or I don't want to say Googling, if I'm searching for <laughs> on DuckDuckGo, if I'm, if I'm searching for, do I have a ulcer? Okay. Then that data, I read a book called Everybody Lies. Have you heard about this book? No. And it's basically how everyone lies to everyone about everything except to Google. That makes sense. And you, yeah. you, because you Google, like, why do I have this rash? Right. Like, that's, <laughs> you know, that's how very, he says that everyone trusts Google. You got that. That's who you that anonymity, right? And I'm not, we're not, no one's knocking Google here. I'm simply saying that it's like, you tell, you tell the truth to Google because you're actually worried. Like, why, why have I had a headache for seven days? Right. Right. And God, never do that, by the way. Everything's, you know, like cancer. everything's, you have brain cancer. Like it actually just maybe have a headache because you're dehydrated. You're an aspen. But it's, it's interesting how that, that data, that's to me as just as a consumer, not as a CNBC anchor, as a consumer, that's the data that worries me. But I don't think that if you can't make money as a Wall Street analyst, if you can't make money, I don't care. So I don't care that somebody has that data. I care a lot if Netflix has your viewing data because that's what they're going to yeah. monetize. So what I care about is that guys have the first party data around, around the person's name that they can then monetize more effectively than a competitor who Do you, doesn't have that data but, but actually, on a person's name. I mean, so first of all, I think that you could monetize some of it. And there's you know, some types of information that you wouldn't want to share, but even some types of medical information you would. So like, imagine you're here in Aspen and you type in, why, why do I have a headache? And they share it with you know, somebody who's like, oh, it's because you're at 7,000 feet and here's this product you can take and it'll fix it for you. Is that bad? Well, there's lots of stores around here that are trying to sell you all okay. kinds of products. That'll no, including the water in the lobby, which is green. Because the green lobby, you know, with, with the gummies, it's edibles. It's, yeah. <laughs> They'll solve anything here in Aspen, apparently. <laughs> it's just an interesting town. I've never been here. It's like coffee shop, restaurant, you know, pot shop, $5,000 handbag. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting yeah. place. They're all interesting in their own way, by the way, every location. I guess, Laura, the, and, you know, it's fun for me to do this because usually our interviews on TV are like four minutes. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. nice and long. Apple's making a big play on privacy. Yes, they are. Like Apple's whole thing now is like, we're not selling your data. Yeah, you're going to pay for stuff, which is amazing because remember, if you're not paying for stuff, you're the product, right? But we need you to pay. But in doing, is that going to work? Yeah, it's going to work. It's gonna is work. it going to work with up, upper wealthier people or is it going to work with everybody? I would say they have a monopoly on the richest 15% of the world's population. 40% of Americans use an Apple phone, but around the world, it's only 15% of penetrated. And it's just a monopoly on the richest. So people. I don't know if anyone else has brought this up. If not, and I'll, I guess we'll, we'll talk about maybe, maybe it has data inequality. Like, could you see it? Could you see a situation where wealthier people are going to be able to protect their personal data better than the rest of the population because they can buy out. Like, in other words, so Facebook, think about, and again, we're not picking on companies. What if Facebook said for $100 a year. Which you, is the break-even price. Yeah, actually. that you can I would do that opt deal. out of all. I, I would, would do, do that, that deal, deal too. And I think so. I, but a lot of people can't afford that $100. Well, I mean, if, if data is a normal economic good, something that people are willing to pay for, then yeah, the first people, the people who will pay the most for it are likely to be wealthy people because that's the way it is with everything. So, we, so wealthier people then, Scott, opt out Correct. of this world. They're able to buy their way out. They're, bu- they're buying their data freedom. How's that? Well, okay. but this, So the other way to put it is, and I'm not sure this is the right way to put it, but the other way to put it is, all right, here's this product that costs 100 bucks. But you can get it for free. So it actually allows people to access to make it who, the wouldn't choice. Be able to, who wouldn't be able to otherwise. 
I mean, just that's the other way of putting it. That's the trick. So no, you're, and that's the beautiful thing about technology in so many ways. It's like ways is that people can. It doesn't matter what your income level is. You can you can search on Google. You can use you know Pandora's free product. There's there's so much free. You can use Gmail. Does they don't know you know billionaire or whatever they might know, but you know what I mean. You can use it no matter where you are. But I do wonder. Apple's whole thing is premium prices, but you're buying your way out of that data world. But, but you know, there's, I mean, which I, by the way, as a consumer, I think is, I like. Yeah. And, 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 and as Laura, you pointed out, Apple has this access, but to only a small share of population that's yeah. very rich. But actually, low income people are willing to pay for some things. And we, we learned that when mobile phones first came into existence in developing countries. At first, the, 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 I worked at the World Bank, and so it's, it's terrible. And the general advice was cell phones are just a toy for the rich. Let's not worry about it. That's why the incumbent phone companies let them, let them, let them enter because they didn't think be a threat. It turned out these people who have no money were able to buy cell phones because they, they felt. And by the way, they had better so, networks than we did here because they, they jumped the whole like hard line fiber optic. Right, because they, they couldn't get hard lines and there was such huge demand for it. So obviously low income people have less money because that's the definition of low income. But but they're willing to they, allocate. They, they, but they I want I just I guess the point I'm making was that I, I do wonder if we're headed toward this you know with so much talk around data I'm talking about I wonder if we're headed toward a debate on 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 data as a privilege. Yeah, I think you're right. You know what I mean? That, well, I don't two know. two statistics on this: CBS All Access. You can pay five ninety nine a month, or you can pay ten dollars. Two thirds of their consumers pay ten dollars, no ads, which means you're not the product. Two thirds. Two thirds. And they have 4 million subscribers in America. So two-thirds of that 4 million say, I'd rather pay $10 and have no ads. We saw with Pandora and Spotify, you both have a freemium model where it's free, and then they try to upsell you to the no ads model. So in in many cases, that's their ultimate goal is to get you to pay. And I'm always shocked when I talk to some of my friends and they're like, yeah, I don't do the premium version. I'm like, you don't? Yeah. Like you you don't pay the 50 bucks a year or whatever it is on Pandora to like, yeah, I don't mind the ads. I'm always kind of shocked by that. Now, that just means I'm a snob, I suppose. And I, I work in the media, so I love advertisers. And I think that, the, you know, we're coming out with their own streaming product at some point. And, and you probably know more, a lot more about it than I do. I'm just a, you know, talking head on the air. But I wonder how many people will pay for all these services. Because that's the big, to me, that's the fun question. Two years out, how many of these companies are going to be left, Laura? And, and that's what went when earlier when there was all this, there was lots of pressure from sort of um, the so-called public interest groups to break the break, to have the government break up the bundle on cable. People would say, well, look, if you make everything a la carte, it's going to be a hell of a lot more expensive. It's true. And it's going to end up being yeah. more expensive for the consumer, yeah. even though this is what the consumer But wants. will the consumer, will they have Netflix, Hulu, uh, NBC's product, you know, HBO Go or whatever it is, the Warner Media product, will they have all of them? No, I don't think so. You know what terrified me if I was running one of these companies? I read a stat. I can't remember where. You'll forgive me. 28% or something like this of like streaming subscribers admit that they cancel on a monthly basis based on a show or something like this. Like, mm-hmm. like they'll cut the, the subscription. Yeah. In a, imagine trying to manage your cash flow as a, as a C, CFO when consumers are that fickle. Well, one of the reasons Netflix had negative 100,000 subs in the second quarter is people turned off in April and May for Game of Thrones on HBO. Mm. 
they turned off their Netflix to save the ten dollars because they had to subscribe for fifteen dollars for six weeks of the Game of Thrones final season. But they're like literally willing to go like six deep in the settings thing to figure out how to cancel their account. Mm-hmm. And you know it's not back. ever easy to find. Right. But I guess yeah. it makes sense when you think about it. People like to watch shows. Nobody thinks, "Well, I can't wait to get home, wait to get home and watch Hulu." But how do you run a business like that, though? It's. I mean, their churn is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, the minute Disney Plus comes. And they all give you a freemium model. They all say, hey, 30 days free. Why wouldn't you turn off your Netflix if you're going to spend 30 days eating as much of Disney during the free period as possible? And if you can get your, your thought is, if I can get through all their good stuff, then I can go back to Netflix. But for the 30 days free, I'm going to eat as, I'm going to watch yeah. as much Disney plus as possible. Can I just, I mean, listen, I know we had to wrap up, but I, I'm going to tell you as a father of a nearly five-year-old, I'm admitting I'm a terrible parent right now. The most genius invention of the last three years, but it's also the evilest is the autoplay. It's great. If I don't monitor it, my son will sit there on an iPad and watch like Octonauts or whatever it is, you know, for eight hours, for eight. Now we're trying not, don't do that. I'm not, you know, but I'm, I'm just saying the free, the autoplay uh-huh. is yeah. ridiculous. Well, one thing on your Apple phone, you can actually, as the parents have screen settings for your son. So if he's playing too much Fortnite, you can make it stop for 10 minutes every hour, or you can say maximum screen time any in any day over any 24 hours, three hours. Of course, the problem is as a teenager, you can have screen setting through your parents. That's probably true. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Screen time. Because you can figure it out. <laughs> My parents are limiting out their screen time. Can we all disagree it's going to be a really interesting next few years with all this stuff? Because these companies have gotten, I mean, when we're talking on CNBC trillion dollar market caps. Yep. Yep. And you know who just quietly goes about their business is Microsoft. Trillion dollar market cap. 20 years ago, they were the poster child of antitrust. You know, I was in law school when that case was going on and then just kind of petered out and no one cared. You know, I mean, some of it might have to do with what they learned during that time. They learned how to interact with DC and the other tech companies, they haven't figured it out yet. Part of it is they're not consumer facing. Everything Microsoft does now is B2B. They don't face the consumer. All of the tech. You don't have a Zoom? I don't. I don't have a Zoom. But I think that's part of it. Did the consumers write letters to congressmen, and the cons- and they're really the government thinks it's there to protect consumers, and all every platform they're going after is a consumer facing platform. But I mean, but they still. I mean, they, they have their Surface product, which is small, but they still have Office that really everyone uses. Do you office. think the grocery stores are going to go after Amazon? I think they'd like to. I think there. I think a lot of small businesses are being put out of business by Amazon, and there's a lot of. I mean, Adonis even has now been hired by a couple of these small independent like shops that feel like Amazon bullies them. There's a lot of those small businesses. And as we talked about before, at least like that, regardless of of the the, the facts behind the claim, it's a very discreet claim. Mm -hmm. And it's easier to bring a case when you you have a very specific argument Mm -hmm. than something big and broad saying, we're going to break up the companies. Yeah, but we need to be careful too. Like the United States has like five times more retail space per capita than the next highest country or something like that. So it's like, Right. I'm not sure. It's very easy to say, like, you know, Amazon's killing retail, but like maybe retail killed retail by growing too fast. Because I'm, I guess I'm I'm so old, Scott, that I remember when Walmart was killing all the retail. Yeah, I remember that too. Right? It was Walmart's the enemy. Suddenly, Walmart's like the good guy. (laughs) Because they actually employ people in your town. Right. <laughs> right. Well, they're they're they seem to be a bad guy when they employ too many people, and a bad guy when they lay people off. And uh, I mean, but yeah, people generally seem to view them in a more positive light than they used to. As as Macon said in there, big is not bad; it's big and behaving badly. That's the problem. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting how he was talking about Standard Oil and how it was great at the beginning, but then it started doing anti-competitive things to keep to maintain their monopoly. I thought that was super interesting. Yeah. 
It's about maintaining your monopoly, not necessarily building your monopoly. And I thought you made a good point that monopolies aren't against the law. They're not. A lot of people no, think they are. They're not. Right. I mean, they can't be. If they were, nobody could invent anything. As you invented it. It's when you use it to tie to other products. That was Microsoft's big problem, right? It was, it was like, that was the- if you want, if you want, I think it was, if, if I remember correctly, if you want Microsoft's operating system, which everyone did at the time, you had to use Explore, Explorer was like on your computer. Don't you remember when we used to buy new computers and they would come with like 62 different pieces of software on them and you're like, what the heck is this? Right. I don't want this. All that stuff was just jammed onto the computer and it made it so unwieldy, it would slow it down. I was, I was wondering how he would justify the actual sanctioned monopoly power of the NFL in these sports leagues where the government does say it's completely anti-competitive. Like, yes, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. Yeah, it's like, a whole how does other he, topic, but, but um, yeah, I just think that's interesting. It's just, like they're talking out of two sides of their mouth. Next year, you should have a sports track, Scott, at this um, conference. We might, and we would have a little trade sports. Or trade. Um, or no, yeah. e- that would be beautiful. Actually do an e-sports and regular sports track at this conference next year. And we'll get like, you probably get bigger. Yeah, no, they're Brett all far to come they, in they, and they be all Antitrust exemptions, like there's the NCAA, which is able to completely exploit its labor. Yeah, um, that's true. And now yeah. the esports guys are going to mess that up because all the esports varsity players, they're getting their tuitions paid out of 90 universities. They're allowed to keep their winnings. Wow. When they go to a tournament, if they win a million dollar prize pool to split among the four of them, they get to keep and their the winnings. And the football player is getting just destroyed, destroyed. on the field. It's not, you know, it gets a couple hundred bucks for you know, or nothing. And, tu- and they do get tuition they do get tuition. So that yeah, I, but no, I no, no. But so do these sports guys. Ninety universities are giving ninety this. universities, 90 universities are, are giving varsity e-sports. esports tuitions. Yeah, and they get to keep their winnings. So if I was the NC2A, that's stupid because the, all the growth is going to come out of esports. But there's no way they're going to join the NC2A if they take away their winnings. Right. So should I tell my four-year-old to like start playing yes. golf or start playing golf online? Online. I would uh, say esports. Well, you just need to turn off that autoplay feature and have him make, make sure he knows how to do it himself. And also make sure he knows how to wash himself, eat, dress himself. That's all that optional in esports. Because there's some like, I, there's some people, I don't know, 20 year olds, I'm not sure, like, are you, you know, aware of these things? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's By the way, I'm just jealous. They didn't have these delivery services when I was in college. I've been spectacular. Pick up the phone, Uber Eats. Five bucks right yeah, at your pizza. door. We had, we had it. Uh, that was it. You had pe- Domino's pizza. Pizza was your delivery option. <laughs> so now you can have anything. Now you can have anything you want. Yeah, anytime. Ever leave your room. yeah that's true. Humanity should be a reason. But you know, part of that is that the kids are getting married at 30 now. And so for 10 years, especially women, they don't want to go and sit in a restaurant alone, both because of the safety, but also because of the social stigma. Yeah. And these women and men too. They have a lot of money. They're usually really hard workers and they want, so now there's whole services that not only deliver food, but they deliver it with the perfect napkin from the place with the logo, the perfect outline. It comes in a box. It's magnificent. And it's all about feeling like you're in the restaurant without the inconvenience. You can work through dinner. And nobody yeah, but going out is fun because then you get to talk to people. I, of course, I'm, you know, listen, I clearly like to talk. Part of the reason that makes you eating in by yourself so that, like, maybe you can wear a bib and just be a slob. And nothing, only a bib. <laughs> <laughs> nothing else, <laughs> just a bib. So, hey, whatever you, you want to do, man, you do you, exactly. as they say. Okay? But let's be clear. It's kind of gross. It depends what you're eating. Yeah, it depends on what you're eating. Lobster, naked lobster. That's a thing. I'm going to Maine tomorrow, actually. So maybe I'll try that. I don't know. Tweet that. What's that? You don't have to tweet that. Yeah, I did. No. <laughs> no. I do know that. I do know this, though. There are, uh, uh, I read 
and there's lies, damn lies, and statistics, whatever the number is, something like one of every four food delivery drivers admitted to sampling your food That's before they brought it to your house. Do you That's guys see that study? That's disgusting. Because like you're sitting in the car, it there's French fries. Oh, it's French fr- well, waffle you know fries. If, if I'll, I'll just have one. <sighs> if you're right? allowed to use that to decide whether or not you should get the food. It might be okay. I've gotten such terrible food from deliveries. If I knew yeah, that because it's soggy, it's cold. Right, exactly. driver tested. The driver is like touching doorknobs and petting dogs and then <laughs> grabbing your food right. and then wiping the snot off his nose and then going back into your bag. Is that what's happening? I, I, I think you should I'll take the restaurant. Part. Maybe I'm just an old man. One last question and then we can go. Right. One last question. question. Oh, no, I don't. Oh, no, I, I'm, I'm pretty good. Unless you want to talk more about... Um, John Denver is always the answer here. There is a John Denver sanctuary here. There should really? be. The man did a lot yeah, for I don't understand. Aspen. What, like, what did he pay for? Rocky Mountain High. Because no, it's probably a tribute to him. Yeah, like, they name uh, streets in D.C. after famous people. Yeah, it's probably a tribute. Right. But we have a two of a park. Well, what are well, we going to be talking about in a year we should have been talking about today? Right, I don't know. You answer that. I'm in the media. I don't know anything. What should we... What, a year. What, what a year isn't that long. You mean in technology? Because I was just in Hong Kong. They got some stuff going on over there, but I assume you mean... Like tech, like why we're here at this conference. Well, by the way, I mean, if this whole tariff trade war mean China, Hong Kong, because you were saying yesterday that what's going on in Hong Kong is affecting Trump's stance on China on the tariffs. Yes, that's okay. why I was there. So exactly. So if if we are all underestimating that, it totally can tank markets and the economy. Sure. Can we can we also remember which though, is that really bad for ad driven businesses. It was only twelve kinds. years ago that. BlackBerry had a 70% market share in phones or something like that. Right. <laughs> now it's like 0. 0.6 or, you know, just some yeah. people forgot they had it in their 12 years before that. It was Nokia. It was Nokia. Yeah. Symbian. Remember their, their operating yeah. system? We're aging ourselves. So what are we going to be talking about next year? I hope it's the rise of more discussion around data privacy, because mm-hmm. I think that, I think that it's like that famous target case, target the store. It wasn't, I don't know if it was a case, but like, it's like a teenage girl. I don't remember this. There was a teenage mm-hmm. girl. And like they, they kept, she, they kept getting adverts for like cribs and stuff at the house. And the dad was like, basically, or somebody oh, called, called target was like, Hey, stop sending us. We have a teenage daughter. Like, what are you trying to, inc-? and it turned out the girl, I guess was pregnant and had been online ser- searching for stuff. Mm-hmm. And she didn't want to tell her parents. And I, and I, you know, I might have the story a little bit wrong, but you get the idea where that was like a like the data broke the sto- a news to the family that should have been incredibly personal and difficult. And so I think we're going to have more difficult conversations around data privacy. I also think we need to we'll have conversations around the role of social media in our society, you know, because it's pretty nasty out there sometimes. Well, I think if we go under a recession and suddenly all of these fixed cost businesses watch their top line fall by 10%. Their EBITDA alum fall by 20 and their EPS fall by 50%. Suddenly, this whole thing about being investigated for antitrust is you're watching them lay off people and fall off the cliff, which ad-driven businesses do in any kind of recession. And by the way, if the capital markets close because of this China tariff trade war, if capital markets close, Netflix will bankrupt itself. It has $3 billion of cash on its books and it's it's owed over the next 12 months, it owes people $3 billion because mm. it spends $13 billion, of which it can only fund 10 from internal. So actually, I mean, you're saying if there's a recession, and there has to be one somehow, we have not overcome the business cycle, that all of these these, these talks about breaking up companies and, and antitrust will all just disappear. Dis- they have to disappear because these companies are going to be basically looking, they're going to look horrible. 
because they're fixed. And not only are they fixed cost businesses, Google's a fixed cost business. Facebook is taking up its cost by a billion dollars extra a year in order to meet these privacy concerns. So it isn't really a fixed cost business. It's a rising cost business for privacy at a time when revenue would fall 10%. You think Facebook will ever go to a pay model? I think Facebook might go out of business. I think the government wants to put them out of business. We're going to end it there. You should have started the, the whole podcast with that. Right. <laughs> can't end it with that. Switch it around. Yeah. <laughs> but wait, they can't end it with that. Because the government's going to put them out of business or because they just, they're, they're done. I think their brand is so mistrusted in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. that I think the government really would like to see Facebook not exist as a brand slash company. And I think the fact that Facebook then introduced Libra, which was so tongue deaf because what Libra tries to do is just intermediate the financial system globally, means they can't be trusted to survive. That if they let them survive, it might be that in 10 years or 20 years after all these legislators. Nobody is forced to be on these platforms. That's the thing. No one forces you to go on to Facebook. You know what I mean? That's true. I agree with that. This has nothing to do with the consumer. This has to do with fear in Washington of the power of Facebook to well, put things. When you in start talking about elections, and yes, when when politicians, you know, when when democracy is brought up. But you know, actually, the pushback on that is that all the politicians need Facebook too. I mean, they devote huge campaign budgets to advertising on Facebook and Google. They they don't I don't know they know what to do without it anymore. Maybe it'll just be politicians. Maybe. I'm on. I'm. I'm on Friendster. I think that's the future. MySpace and Friendster. So they're, you and your friend. They're. They're waiting. <laughs> you and your friend. They're just plotting their comeback. Just <laughs> <laughs> waiting. Pets.net. Yeah, it's it's, it's the long game. <laughs> I've been through three cycles now, Scott. Like, I'm starting to feel like an old man, right? I mean, the internet bust. Yeah. You know, boom financial bust, crisis and whatever the next one is that's coming, and something is coming. Yeah, it's got to. They yeah. haven't overcome. It's healthy, but I mean, you can't just. No, yeah. Anyway, that's a different, that's a different conference. Yeah. Okay. That's Fed, Jack- right. that's that's Fed Jackson Hall. Very much. much. Laura, that's awesome. Thank pleasure. You. Awesome. Thank you. Scott, thank, thank you very so much. much. Thank you. Thank you. It was great. See you next year in Aspen? Yeah.